Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and on today's episode, we're tackling a challenge that's just about as old as AML itself, and that's the limitations and shortcomings of rules-based monitoring systems, especially in a fast-changing world. For decades, rules for flagging transactions and generating alerts were the only game in town, and to be sure, they still play an important role in strong AML, CTF, and fraud programs today. But in times of increased alert volume, shifting regulatory expectations, and constant cost awareness, rules can only take your FinCrime compliance program so far. Are new technologies like machine learning, AI, and graph analysis finally ready to step up to the plate and relieve some of the pressure on rules-based systems? What are the limitations of these technologies and the challenges in implementing them? To explore these questions and many more, I'm happy to be joined by Frederick Boulier, Global Head of Solution Consulting with the FinCrime Unit of Oracle. Well, Frederick, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure having you on the Financial Crime Cast. Um, certainly looking forward to this conversation. Wide-ranging look at uh, some of the critical issues in the use of AI in the AML and sanctioned space um, and how that's playing out. So uh, pleasure having you here, and uh, and thanks for being uh, on the program. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. And if you don't mind just starting out, uh, just give us a little context on on who you are, um, particularly your role at Oracle. Um, some folks may be less familiar with Oracle, some may be more, as a, particularly as a financial crime uh, solutions provider. Um, so can, can you tell everyone out there um, who you are, uh, your role at Oracle, and a little bit of your background in the financial crime prevention space? Sure, happy to. Maybe a couple of words about Oracle. I mean, uh, usually when people talk or hear about Oracle, you know, they think databases, they think, you know, this big, big, you know, technology giant headquartered in uh, in Texas, previously in California, and all they think about is, yeah, hardware, software, etc. But one thing that is uh, a bit little known about Oracle is they have a range of industry applications. Uh, and one of the industries that they are pretty strong in is the financial services industry. And we, uh, financial crime and compliance management, actually belong to that industry. And, uh, you know, that's all we do. I mean, we don't do anything else but uh, financial crime deterrence and detection applications for about 180, 190 customers around the world. And we've been doing this for over a quarter of a century now. So that's, uh, you know, what Oracle does in this, um, you know, very specific uh, niche or sliver of uh uh, the world's technology. Um, myself, I mean, I've been with Oracle five years now, and I'm, I'm not a technologist. I'm a more a business guy, and I used to be a compliance officer back in the days for the HSBC group, uh, four years. And uh, even prior to this, I worked with the uh, French Securities and Exchange Commission, or FCA, uh, for uh, another four years, actually, as an investigator. So altogether, I've been in uh, the compliance arena or financial crime arena for about 22, 23 years now. Excellent. No, thank you for that. And yeah, great context, because as you mentioned, you know, I think sometimes Oracle sparks a certain uh, image in people's minds, but uh, you know, great to hear that uh, they are much larger and uh, more robust set of offerings than just that. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, yeah, so excellent. Absolutely. So let's dive right into it. Um, can you give us an idea of 
some of the main challenges compliance officers are going through today. We're going to touch on wide range of issues, all within, the, as mentioned, the wider umbrella of leveraging AI, particularly looking ahead at some of the, the future challenges and current challenges in this space. So let's talk about that. What are some of these challenges? Where, what are you seeing, you know, sanctions compliance officers, AML officers, um, other financial crime compliance roles really struggling with or going through today? Sure, I'm very, very happy to answer that question. Actually, a pretty good question um, to start with. I guess what, uh, you know, I, I probably need to um, give a, like a, a short uh, bit of history uh, to, you know, what led us to where we are right now. I mean, if you look at like 30, 40 years ago, there weren't like very strong computers. The uh, banks, you know, were not really digitalized. And, uh, you know, solutions like those that we market today were inexistent for the most part, right? And and only in the 90s, you started seeing uh, firms actually like ourselves, right? I mean, we're 26 years old, 1996. Um, you started seeing some firms coming up with innovative solutions uh, from a market that had nothing to offer to enable firms to basically look into that big, big haystack and find the dubious solutions, right? The needle in the haystack. So this is what... Uh, really started in uh, the 90s. And back then, if you look at what it was, I mean, it was, uh, I wouldn't say even uh, uh, mostly rule-based, it was only rule-based, right? So basically, you want to find something, you design a rule for it. It's very deterministic. The rule finds uh, what it is designed to be finding, but doesn't find anything else uh, on the outside, right? So the uh, problem with this approach, I mean, it was great back then, right? Because, you know, the firm started with nothing and basically all of a sudden they had something that helped them automate um, that search for, for the bad guys and the bad transactions. So that was great back then. But the problem with this is that, um, you know, this approach has generated um, a lot of false positives and, and for a number of reasons, right? And the, the, the very nature of those rules, deterministic rules, is to basically generate false positives, right? It's very hard to, to optimize. And, um, you know, I must say being, you know, having been a compliance officer myself, I mean, the, the compliance folks, you know, have a tendency to be somewhat paranoid and they want to catch everything. They want to look at everything. So that, um, you know, forces them in a way to look for, uh, you know, very low thresholds. Um, it's a bit of the, like, you know, what I like to call the FOMO syndrome in a way that definitely applies to compliance officers. And obviously, the more you, you play with the thresholds on the downside because you want to catch everything, the more you're catching uh, situations or alerts which are not worthy of analyzing, right? But that you don't necessarily know and you want to keep it this way because you want to make sure you don't, you don't miss out on, on anything, right? So if you add those two things, right, together, uh, definitely you can understand why there's a lot of, uh, you know, false positives in, in that uh, role-based approach. Now, what we've seen over the past, uh, uh, you know, a few decades is there's been a tremendous growth in the business, right? And when you combine a situation where you are generating a lot of false positives and then you're, you've got a great growth in the business, then you're going to have even more alerts being created and more, even more false positives being created, right? That, if that makes sense. Now, the, the only way to deal with this really is, uh, you know, by um, increasing the number of AML analysts you have, because you can't really reduce the number of, uh, 
you know, alerts you have with uh, the sort of usual means, like like upping the thresholds, for example, because then the regulators are going to come to you and say, well, can you explain to me why you had a threshold of 10K last week and now you're using a threshold of 20K? So, so the only thing that they've done over the years is really increase the number of AML people working into those alerts and cases. And this is really what we've seen over the past like 15, 20, 25 years right now. The, the problem is that the regulators never really stopped pushing uh, either. They've been issuing like record fines. We've seen fines in the billions uh, for sanctions uh, issues uh, for the most part, but also for AML issues. And when they come out with such fines, you know, with new regulations and pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing all along, you can understand why the, the, the you know, the compliance function is, is basically scared of, of, of kind of like, Taking it back and 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 you know upping the thresholds and and doing less for for the same regulatory pressure, right? So the the la the you know this led to huge compliance costs, right, in the sector for uh, you know the the past twenty years. And uh, basically, what the CEOs or the financial or the financial CFOs have told the the compliance function to do is say find a way to basically um, lower your costs, right? So the the, the real main thing today is really cost reduction. This is, this is challenge number one and by far uh, in, the, in the industry. Um, how do you define costs? I mean, it's the cost of dealing with the alerts. We, we talked about the number of analysts earlier on that you know, are needed uh, sometimes to uh, our, you know, our help uh, our, our work, you know, all the alerts of cases that are being generated you know, from the systems, but also... If you think of it, right, all the costs that are, um, are, are coming from operating the system behind the scenes. So you got the cost of technology, you had the hardware cost, maintaining the hardware, cost of modifying detection, including uh, you know, model design, backtesting or sandboxing, model management, et cetera. All of this has a cost and takes a mighty long time for, for the firms, right? So um, of course, cost reduction shouldn't be uh, at the expense of risk mit mitigation. Um, you want to make sure you reduce your costs, but without the risk uh, shooting up. And this places an extraordinary challenge on the shoulders of, uh, of the compliance function, right? So the, this in a nutshell, nutshell, I think, is, is, is very much, you know, what, what it really occupies, is, uh, occupies the, uh, the, the compliance function today, trying to reduce costs without adding uh, some extra risks on, uh, on, on, uh, on the business. Yeah, which is... Uh... Not, not easy, right? <laughs> At all. And I think that was a fantastic, no. uh, that was a fantastic kind of history lesson, but also an encapsulation of, of the current reality. Um, and you're totally right in that, you know, the main strategy, as you, as you mentioned, has been, let's add people, right? But particularly when you reach a certain scale of alerts and a pace of change, um, that becomes really different to just, uh, difficult to just you know throw people at the problem um yeah there is there's a, been a there's been a lot of reactions uh also by firms to say look you know first line of defense we're going to offshore it and you know we had this uh customer when we started discussing with them uh they said well we're actually paying a firm in the philippines to uh you know offshore first level of uh, alerts and what's happening is whenever they see something interesting then it goes to second level and here's some more like seasoned uh, or onshore analysts are actually taking the matter, which, which you know, I mean, offshoring or nearshoring definitely 
you know, helps reduce the, the you know, some costs um, uh, when, when working with those alerts, definitely. Yeah. So there are, there are strategies, different strategies to, uh, to right. kind of get around this issue. You know, I'm wondering if the impact of sanctions in particular, you know, we're talking about both sanctions and AML here. Um, but, you know, we went from uh, in the past 18 months, you know, we, we scaled up sanctions designations by something like 10,000 additional individuals, entities, you know, government agencies, so on and so forth, just related to um, the Russia-Ukraine situation, not even, you know, talking about Iran, North Korea, Syria, other sanctions programs. Um, so surely this didn't help when we talk about, you know, false positives and volume and that type of thing. Um, how has that accelerated this you know, need to shift away from rules-based, you know, kind of static, high false positive generating approaches. So you're, you're right in saying that there's, um, you know, numerous programs, sanctions programs around the world. I mean, if you just look at OFAC, I mean, they're, they're, they're having like hundreds of different, um, uh, you know, decrees that have taken uh, for each of the, the situations around the world, and you mentioned uh, Sudan, you mentioned Iran, Cuba, etc. Definitely, they, they all have programs, right? But the, what happened since the beginning of the year uh, with you know the situation you mentioned in um, in Eastern Europe is that there's been an acceleration, a sheer acceleration of um, you know those those um, you know new programs being added to to earlier ones. If you look at Cuba, if you look at uh, Sudan, Iran, you know, whichever jurisdiction you're looking at, they're kind of steady in a way, right? The additions are like very, you know, I mean, these are mature programs, sanctions programs around the world. Now, the, the one thing that changed since the beginning of the year is, you know, the velocity at which uh, new names or new entities or new persons, physical persons were added to uh, or like yet new programs. There was almost like a program every day, like a new program or a new list or modified list every day. And sometimes even several times, several times a day at the beginning of the, 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 the unrest, right? And, you know, I've been speaking obviously with a lot of compliance officers uh, since the beginning of the year. And some of them told me, well, not the right time to speak. Sorry, I'm, I'm very busy with the sanctions program. I'm trying to ensure that we, we get it right. And, and perfectly understandably say, you know what, I'll, I'll give you a call when, when the dust settles. Which I did afterwards, and uh, and basically they were telling me, well, we just wanted to make sure that uh, the, the the software we're having or the the, the pro, pro, uh, product we we're, were having was capable of, um, you know, basically, our, um, our, you know, die, like uh, um, uh, you know, working with all those new lists and changing lists like on a daily basis, sometimes even more than that. So we had a lot of like uh, back testing to do. We had a lot of testing to do. Like making sure we were not missing out on anything. That's the, you know, that's the thing we talked about, you know, earlier on. They wanted to make sure that they got all it right, and this actually took a lot, a lot of time and effort, uh, you know, at their end, uh, from their side, you know, to make sure they got it right. So, no, definitely, uh, what happened earlier this year in Eastern Europe didn't help at all. But I think now um, where the, the compliance function is, is that I think you know, they definitely know what they have, right? What system they're using and the quality thereof. So for those who have seen holes in the racket, definitely that is sparkling a big wave of modernization in a way. And for those who were able to ascertain that their um, our current system or program 
was working okay, it definitely reinforces the belief in that system, right? So it it, it really kind of triaged, um, um, our, you know, the 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 minds of uh, compliance uh, people are either on the left to the left or or to the right, right? So definitely. Yeah, I I definitely uh, experienced a similar thing reaching out to some sanctions folks for webinars or training events or right. whatever the case may have been. And they said it's just uh, it's just not the right time. So, not the right time. Not yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the uh, in the same boat, but yeah, it's good to see it. Uh, that's calm down is maybe not the right word, but uh, it's good to see that it's at least evened out, and we've come to a, a state of some level of equilibrium um, over the recent recent months. So, uh, so we've reflected on kind of the compliance journey to some extent up until now. Um, let's look at it from the other perspective, the technology side. Um, you mentioned, you know, there were we uh, going back 30, 40 years, limited computing power, um, more difficult to crunch vast quantities of data, what's been the adaptation on the tech side, um, particularly in recent years, you know, what's new, what's different in order to help compliance functions overcome some of these challenges that we've highlighted? Sure. So um, you, you mentioned something really, really uh, uh, accurate. Um, if you look at the computers we have today or computing power we have today and the variety thereof, um, you cannot compare with where uh, the industry was 20, 25, 30 years ago, right? So we've got much more computing power. There's, um, you know, very, uh, our, uh, our, I would say, like, uh, definitely different ways of looking at it. You can go on-prem, you can go cloud, you can go hybrid. There's, there's many, many different ways you can actually have your compliance system today. And I guess the fact that we have now more computing power uh, definitely opened up uh, to a brand new technology or brand new technologies that, uh, you know, had you tried them 25, 30 years ago, it simply wouldn't have worked, right? Because today we have for the same box, uh, you know, more compute, you have more uh, uh, disk space or storage, you have uh, more memory, and, and you can do a lot of things with all these uh, superpowers today, right? So... Um, also, I think this has sparkled for the for the past ten years or so, fifteen years or so. Uh, new challenger uh, Rectex uh, have actually propped up. Um, I'm not going to give names, but I mean, if you Google some of them, you're going to find probably 25, 30 of them are not being in existence ten or fifteen years ago, right? And the the promise of those platforms usually were to really tackle very specific slavers of the problem statement which firms had, not necessarily offering like horizontal platforms that, that do everything and can uh, basically protect a regulated firms throughout, but really more look at like very specific vertical problems here, right? And some didn't survive, others have actually had a better fate and uh, some level of success, I mean, I'm, I must admit, and, and have grown, right? So right now you're probably looking at like about 10-ish uh, of those surviving reg techs that are doing a, a decent job for certain customers. Now, then you have the legacy players and, and Oracle is one of them, but I think, you know, um, they still have a platform approach for uh, regulated firms willing to modernize their, their compliance technology uh, throughout, right? So they're not necessarily looking for just sanctions or for just a KYC solution or a transaction monetary solution. They're looking at something that hands together holistically, right? And um, some of uh, those players, the legacy players, I like to call them, and I, I think Oracle is one of them, 
really have invested heavily in newer technologies. I think this is the case for Oracle. Um, the clients that we're speaking to right now, they're definitely going down this path and telling us we have an edge over uh, certain uh, over competitors. And I think this is the you know the all the money and effort and people that we've been um, throwing into the innovation space for the past seven or eight years. I think it has started to pay off for the past couple of years. And this is where we are right now. And we're definitely, you know, harvesting the seeds that we've been, uh, you know, uh, uh, putting under the ground for, for those past seven or eight years. But in general, I mean, all the rec tech vendors out there have spent, uh, you know, all their efforts uh, help regulate firms tackle this uh, tandem that we talked about earlier on, which is cost versus risk, right? De definitely, if we've all been uh, steering in the right direction, this is there. We're all trying to make sure that we offer innovative solutions to uh, ensure we bring value to our customers. Value equals money in uh, the most cases and without uh, exaggerating on the risk that they're taking, right? So we're we're ensuring they, they keep the risk uh, at, a, at a low level, as low as possible, and, and trying to curb uh, costs down as, as much as we can, right? And, and it's often a, a question of return on investment with those firms, whereas I think in um, if you look back 10, 15 years, it was very difficult to come up with an ROI. I think now it's easier because you're, you're trying to solve complex problems um, like in, in, a, in a very meaningful way and, and you're able to calculate return on investments uh, that, that make you be successful in those, in those firms, right? It's much easier today than it was before. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, the investments made by some of the bigger firms, Oracle being one of them, um, uh, is certainly encouraging from a uh, financial services perspective, right? Because this is a, a multi-pronged approach. Um, you know, we talk about solutions providers as coming in to sort of help the financial services space or sell a product. But at the end of the day, this is a collaborative effort to fight financial crime. Um, solutions providers absolutely. are part of that. You know, financial services industry is part of that. Law enforcement is part of that. So it is absolutely a, 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 a very much a, a collaboration um, in addition to, you know, a business. So um, on that note, you know, let's talk about an ele elements of those tech investments, tech advancements that are really making some positive impacts. Um, We've heard a lot about artificial intelligence, machine learning, graph technology for really years at this point. Um, you know, and it seemed like maybe early on there was sort of a, you know, the, a, the classic kind of graph where there's, there's a lot of hype about something and there's a, the trough of disappointment. And we've gone through that, it sounds like, but you would probably know better than me, and are out on the other end where we're seeing some really promising applications in recent years. Um, so can you talk about a little bit about kind of the journey that we've gone on with machine learning and artificial intelligence, and then where you're seeing the most promising applications um, and institutions applying these for better results and sanctions AML compliance? Sure. Um, I, I think as a forward, what's interesting to note is that if you're, I mean, you mentioned AI, uh, artificial intelligence, but I, I probably want to talk more about machine learning and, and graphs. If you look at those, I mean, these aren't new technologies or they don't, these aren't new concepts, right? I mean, these are concepts that are, you know, if you look at the graph theory, for example, has been here, you know, like, like a couple of centuries. 
It's just that um, if you want to do graph theory, this is great. If you want to apply graph theory on data, you need a lot of uh, you need a lot of memory. You need a lot of compute. You need a lot of power. And and this comes back to what we were saying earlier on, which is, you know, you can think about graph theory. You can think about applying machine learning, but you got to crunch uh, an enormous amount of data uh, and compute a lot of things to be able to have a good rendering. Uh, you know, uh, before the, 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 you know, the, the compliance folks, right? So they can actually act upon it. So the, the real surge in uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, robots, uh, uh, or, you know, RPA, as we call it, uh, or, or graph analytics really comes from the fact that the, the processing power, the compute power, the memory um, has become like very cheap today, right? And it's very, very much available to be able to achieve these things. So this is this is really the foundation of why, you know, there's been a surge in, in AI, machine learning, RPA, uh, graph analytics over the years. Now, w- what do you want to use them for as a firm, right? Is, is the more important thing because in the end of the day, we want to solve uh, issues which our customers have. So, you know, for example, deterministic rules where, I mean, it's good to have them because the regulators, I like them, they're explainable, it's very easy, you know, to take a rule, dissect it and explain your regulators why this rule looks at something specific, right? Now, one of the things you may want to uh, use our newer techniques for is to actually search not necessarily things that are known, but things that are unknown, like the unknown unknowns, right? And this is what you may want to be using uh, machine learning, uh, unsupervised machine learning for. It's going to find situations, it's going to find correlations and decorrelations, etc. So this is great because it really looks at things you are not necessarily looking at with rules. But in the end of the day, the drawback to this, because there's always a drawback to a good thing, right? Uh, drawback to this is it may actually find things that have nothing in common that are not reflective of a particular um, money laundering situation or uh, a terrorist financing situation. So you're going to have to look at it for yourself. But the good thing is that you're covering much, much more ground using this sort of like detection techniques that you were with your deterministic rules. Let's remember deterministic rules, right? You are finding what you ask the rule to look at. Right? You're not finding things that are slightly on the left, slightly on the right, slightly above, slightly below. It is just going to look at what you instruct the computer to be looking at. If you're going into unsupervised machine learning, it's going to start looking at things which you had no idea about. It's going to pick up situations that may be suspicious because there's been a correlation and then a decorrelation and then a correlation again. And it's going to say, hey, compliance officer, maybe you should look into this because I think that might be suspicious. So that's one way you could use uh, uh, you know, machine learning for. The, the other thing that you could be uh, using for detection is, is really graph, right? Because if you think of it, a graph and all the data is, is, it's all about graph in a way, right? Sometimes the data is stored very much in a graph way. If you're searching for a term in Google, guess how the data is uh, stored uh, uh, behind the scene? Every time you are searching for a term, it is not browsing the entire library of, uh, you know, websites or anything because it needs to return uh, you know, a, a, uh, um, um, a result in a matter of like, you know, 300 milliseconds or 200 milliseconds, right? So all the data is already basically organized in such a way that when you search a term, you immediately see around it, uh, you know, the, the, uh, our, the list of, you know, preliminary results, you know, first 10 or first 15 or first 20 results, 
and the, the computer, the database behind the scene already knows that. And this is, this is basically organizing data in a graph way. So graph is everywhere today. Wherever your data is being stored, graph is, is like underpinning or the graph theory is underpinning the way the data is uh, sorted today, sorted, organized, et cetera, et cetera, right? Why am I telling you all this, Brian? Simply because uh, today, if you want to like uh, detect a particular situation, of course, you can go rules, right? And what are you going to ask the rule? You're going to ask the rule, okay, find me a situation where I've got outgoing payments in excess of $10,000 um, for the past three days. And the guy is a politically exposed person and this and this and that. So it's going to find you this, right? But one of the things that it's not going to find you is situations whereby things are happening, not just like on transactions, but things are happening. If you look at the, the client 360 degree view, right? It's going to find situations where it's something dubious or something that you should be investigated right at the outskirts of, uh, of, 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 of that focal entity, right? So, for example, it's going to say, hey, you know what? These guy that we've just had an alert on um, actually resides uh, at an address where I can actually find someone at the same address that uh, your institution actually uh, sard a few months back. Right. It doesn't mean this necessarily mean that something is dubious, but at least you want to know and you want to investigate that because it's a, it's it's a big coincidence, right? So I mean at this address, it could be it could be a house, right? And and if you have only one address, you have like one household. It could be a, a high tower where you got like 200 apartments, right? And in which case it might just be a coincidence. But in the end of the day, you want to have the capability to basically look at this and deterministic rules. If you want to code this using SQL, it's going to like, it's going to be a torture, right? If you don't want to look at this from a graph standpoint, you're going to see this guy in the middle, right? The guy, the focal uh, person, you're going to see another entity that is linked to that guy, which is an address. And to that address, you're going to see another guy and that other guy is going to be linked to a previous SAR filing. So you're going to see this, see this visually, and it's like going to just catch your eye immediately. So, you know, obviously, uh, it's a different mindset. The way data is presented is not into like a razor transaction, but it's immediately showing you in a graphical way who's, uh, you know, linked with whom and which are the entities at stake, you know, what transactions are between that entity and that entity. And from an investigation standpoint, as much as from a detection standpoint, this is definitely where where you want to be, All right? That, does that make sense, Brian? It does make sense. Yeah, and that's interesting. I actually did not know. Um, that background on, you know, Google searching and how the techno underlying technology actually works. So, yeah, how the data yeah. is stored. And there's, there's one last thing about uh, machine learning, which I wanted, um, our, you know, just, just um, 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 to remind everyone, you know, when you have too many alerts, right, at alert adjudication stage, you know, that, that we call it this way usually, um, it, is, it is definitely advisable that you use some machine learning techniques to uh, leverage human decisions in the past to apply them automatically to like alerts that are coming in. Remember that example I told you about with that client who was offshoring a lot of their um, uh, or like first level uh, alerting uh, um, to uh, an offshore in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. We've actually uh, worked with this customer and uh, have applied a solution that allows them to actually triage, auto-triage, uh, first-level alerts. Um, either they are false positives or they're actually true, true positives, right? 
but at least only give to the first level um, uh, um, you know, investigators over there in the Philippines, those others that are kind of in the middle, right? Where the, you know, there's too much risk to, to go one way or the other, right? Whereas those that are automatically escalated or uh, uh, shut down, uh, closed, um, you know, those alerts, uh, this is because there's like a very, very high degree of confidence one way or the other that there's not going to be any issue with doing this automatically. And you know what? You know, we were able to come up with a return on investment with this, with this customer. And, uh, you know, the solution that we implemented is going to pay off in like a year and a half, right? So wow. in a year and a half, you know, um, basically his, his, his investment will have been, um, he's going to break even on his investment and he's very happy today. Interesting. Yeah, that would, that's pretty fast. Year and a half, you know, you think about the return on investment cycle, year and a half. It's, it's, uh, it's quick. Yeah. So it's, it's great. If you're asking me, hey, you know, Fred, you want to invest something in your return on investment is a year and a half. And usually it's like more like, generally speaking, it's more like six, seven years. And, you know, the compliance, we tend to believe it's more like three, four years where, where it should pay off. And, and here we were able to achieve like a year and a half because yep. his bills, his bills of like first level analysis is going to, is going to go down. This is why, we, this is how we're going to fuel. Uh, this is how we're fueling the, uh, our, you know, the need for such a solution. What we were saying earlier actually ties it ties back to what we were saying earlier in that, um, you know, over the past twenty years we've seen a, a mounting uh, amount of of analysts right within each of the firms. So they started off with a hundred, and then two hundred, and three, four, five hundred, and seven hundred, and a thousand, and two thousand people just looking at alerts, right? So this this costs a fortune, even if you offshore things, right? So now I think we're more in an arena where, you know, the firms are definitely trying to find innovative solutions to, to, you know, to get the cost down, uh, uh, which was our, our, our first opening remark, I think, in this, in this, um, in this discussion. Absolutely. Well, we've spent some time on the positives, as we should, and the, the good things mm-hmm. that technology is doing. You All alluded right. to obviously there being, you know, there being, a cost to everything, a, cha- a, a, a potential drawback to everything. I want to play that out a little bit more. Um, you know, when we talk about applying machine learning and graphs, what are the drawbacks? Um, what are the limiters? You know, what things can't this do? Or, you know, you shouldn't think about applying these technologies to. So any thoughts about, uh, you know, challenges or drawbacks or limitations of applying these new technologies? So, um I think, I think, you know, these are newer approaches, right? Um, I wouldn't say newer technologies, but newer approaches being introduced, uh, in, uh, the compliance arena. Um, generally speaking, uh, firms and compliance people are, uh, not necessarily willing to be the first ones to, uh, try something new, to blaze a path, right? And I think there's there's been a, some reluctance to actually go down this path, uh, much less now where the major banks, the tier ones and even the tier twos, I think they have all seen the value of such technologies. But it's been a bit of a, a ride for the past five to seven years. Um, so blazing a path is definitely something people don't necessarily want to be doing. But I think I think more and more firms are definitely adopting Team B. So I think it's important for firms to really, um, you know, want to be, uh, testing things out, right? And risk some amount of money. I'm not saying huge amount of money, but definitely put some money into experiments, uh, which may lead them somewhere, but also nowhere, 
right? Uh, let's make sure about that. And one way to qualify those experiments is definitely through uh, doing uh, proof of concepts to start with and then pilots, right? So you don't want to go all in uh, immediately. You want to choose the right entity or the right business for you to try out something and then see if it works. And if it works, why not like doing more than pilots, right? Why not do this like for the entire business or for a geography or like an entire uh, you know, like one business unit uh, globally, but definitely they need to they get their you know hands in the dirt and make sure they 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 take a bit of risk, right? Calculate a risk, but uh, take a bit of risk, and they need to do this hand in hand with vendors like like ourselves, right? Um, those newer technologies um, are also more than ever relying on data, right? I mean, the 21st century is the data century, definitely. And having good quality data is all the more important today. It wasn't necessarily absolutely critical 20, 30 years ago because we didn't really have the power of crunching all the data in, in the way we, we crunch it today. But today, everything is data-driven, right? So you need to have good data. And I would definitely, um, you know, encourage firms to, uh, you know, work with us on the quality of the data uh, as much as applying, you know, newer technologies. And the last thing I think, um, you know, that can be a drawback if not done um, or the right way is definitely making sure that the solution they choose or the machine learning or the graph application that they use can actually be used uh, to operationalize uh, our, their system, right? So, so today they all have operationalized systems. They work well. Operations are going smoothly, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end of the day, you know, if you start adding something on top or on the side, you need to make sure you can actually operationalize this, right? So beyond the proof of concept, things can work in a proof of concept, but that would definitely encourage the firms to ensure that they have evidence from their vendors that this proof of concept or pilot can actually be uh, are, are in industrialized, right? Operationalized. I mean, these, these would be my thinkings in terms of uh, drawbacks. Yeah, yeah, fantastic points all around. And I think, you know, if you're not sure where how to advance these projects, the points you laid out are are fantastic. Start slow, you know, do pilots, um, yeah. implement, you know, where you can and build up over time. It's not Maybe an all steps, or nothing man. proposition at all. Um uh, you know, on that note, uh, one of the one of the drawbacks or, you know, hesitations i guess not not drawbacks but hesitation um that we hear sometimes when talking about these projects is around how the regulators will view it you know and we mm -hmm. we talked we alluded to the strict liability and you know the sanction space earlier um obviously there's not a whole lot of tolerance for getting things wrong missing transactions you know um so there is definitely a feeling of you know hey i don't want to change it it's working well enough, or I'm just afraid to change it because I don't know what type of trouble I'll get into, um, so to speak. So uh, where are the regulators on this journey into, you know, both specifically machine learning and other technologies, but also, you know, just more innovative approaches to compliance programs in the sanctions AML space? I think um, most... Prominent regulators, I mean, regulators in, in, in the most prominent financial centers uh, today are very open to using newer technology, 
right? And what I mean by newer technology is everything that you mentioned, right? So, you know, machine learning, uh, graphs, etc. I think, you know, I can't think of a regulator that says, I'll try it. No, 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 no. You know, you need to stay with, um, you know, your, your rule-based system and we're not a, like, we're not, we're not happy with you uh, trying anything else. I think they're definitely open to, to all of this, uh, but they're cautiously open, right? They, they don't let firms cut corners. So if you look at um, everything that the UK FSA or, uh, you know, the French AMF or the Baffin or the, the, the US or Singapore authorities have said, they say, you guys go ahead, but you should, you should bear in mind that in the end of the day, uh, you should ensure that you don't cut corners. You should ensure that your risks are still under control. And um, don't think you're going to use those technologies that just to chase costs, right? Um, and I think this is this is more or less what they've uh, uh, said. Um, so firms want to automate as, as, you know as much as possible, meaning they want to do things like you know auto closure, auto adjudication. Um, not all the regulators like the idea in the first place. Uh, and for those who are okay with auto closure, for example, they are definitely putting uh, loads of um, you know safeguards around such practices. So it's not all that easy for regulated firms to to go down the uh, automation path, right? When it comes to auto closing alerts, right? They usually don't like this, or they're going to ask firms to demonstrate that basically what they've auto closed has nothing, um, you know, like fin crime interesting in there. And um, I think it's also an education journey for for these firms, right? They need to educate their regulators. Um, we have a few clients that have been doing this for years and they're kind of getting there for some of the regulators. Um, and most of the times firms are being presented with uh, sort of avant-garde solutions or technologies from vendors like ourselves. Um, but regulators, regulators are often lagging behind uh, because simply, you know, they are um, not necessarily au fait uh, of, uh, you know, what's happening in the market and what the, uh, you know, each vendor, uh, you know, has to offer. Um, I think they're catching up right now, and I'm seeing a lot of uh, regulators actually having uh, innovation centers being built uh, in, into, uh, our, uh, into them. Um, I'm seeing this for a number of regulators, and this is, I think, you know, their way to catch up with what's happening in the industry. So that, I think that's kind of where the regulators are. But as long, you know, as a firm, as long as you can demonstrate that you what you've done doesn't add risk or you're not missing out on something important uh, in that automation, because it's all about automation in a way, right? I think you're, you're probably, you know, reinforcing your relationships with that regulator and re- like reinforcing the trust with, um, with these guys and, 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 and training them as a result. Absolutely. I think it's all about bringing the regulator along with the, you know, with the journey, ensuring you understand those guardrails, comply with those guardrails, but, you know, right. also understanding that uh, there's not, you know, number one, a lot of times there's not a huge amount of resistance to innovation. And number two, you know, I think uh, you want to avoid using the regulators as kind of an excuse to some extent not to innovate. Right. Um, so, yeah, great advice on uh, great advice on that piece. Well, Fred, it's been a it's been a, ma- a big pleasure having this conversation with you. Um, thank you so much for the time and the insight. I think, uh, you know, it's been a challenging 18 months in addition to the standard sort of challenges in the financial crime arena we had the sanction space really ratchet up quite a bit 
and uh, that's not going to stop. But what's encouraging is, you know, the innovative technology, the uh, the innovative approaches, and you know, the increasing acceptance on both the private sector and, as we talked about, public sector side to do things better. So, um, thanks for the the time. Uh, thanks for the the insights, and uh, thanks for being a part of that. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. And again, my guest has been the global head of solution consulting in the FinCrime unit of Oracle. And I urge you to learn more about everything Oracle has to offer. Also, urge you to join us for another episode of the Financial Crimecast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, many other places where your fam- favorite podcasts live. So thanks so much to our audience for joining us. And uh, have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week. Goodbye for now, everyone.